You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Becoming a people who can handle the brutal realities of life has never been more necessary. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, There was an article in Psychology Today all of this week that talked about the way that counsellors at colleges in the US are having to deal with the chronic problem of a lack of student resilience. Like, get this, uh, one guy was called in to do a a session with the counsellors there because they had a doubling of the counselling services that were, were required at the school. The problem was that for most of the cases, there were things like one girl needed counselling because her roommate called her the B word. And an- another student needed counselling because they'd seen a mouse in their apartment. It's just incredible. Uh, they also reflected that the student completion rates of subjects is at chronically high levels. That's what we talked about in week one here in Australia. So it's not just America, it's here. Uh, There's a a chronic need for resilience and dealing with the realities of life. Uh, None more so more practically than this week, uh, than yesterday and seeing the shock of all that has happened out at Parramatta, the senselessness around what is happening, but ever more so we begin to talk about this church. That our safe island home is having to deal with the realities of a brutal world. And so that is why, in many ways, we've thought we need to do a series on resilience. How do you bounce back when you are less than flat? How do you find your center again? How do you move back to a healthy place when life hits you? And that's why we've been looking at resilience. And remember, resilience is not the same as endurance. It's not a grit your teeth hardness that just gets you through life. It's, it's a flexibility. It's an adaptability. And so we learned the first week that, first of all, you just got to find a need for resilience. If you don't see the realities of this world, then you're going to be unhappy about being unhappy. It's going to surprise you what happens to you in this world and we'll see more of that in a sec last week we learned that there are actually resources for resilience and so the good news is resilience is learnable you can learn the resources for it establish a horizon have a clear sense of what your capabilities are sense what god is achieving through the hardship you're going through do this in community they're just some of the fundamental principles we saw last week and so this week as we finish up Oh, it's one that's been on my heart because God has done a mighty work in this series, by the way. I hope you're sensing that. But it's been incredible the amount of conversations that I've been able to have with many of you as we process this together. It's been amazing to hear the way the groups have been processing this together and have felt comfortable being slightly vulnerable with each other and saying, you know what, we're going through a tough time. And so as I've processed with some... As a result of this series, this question tends to be the one that is popping up through our groups and through the coffee sessions. And it's this, Sam, or whoever it might be, but often people say, Sam, what if you have been hit so hard by life, you just don't want to get back up again? Anyone ever felt like that? What if you've been hit so hard by life, you just don't ever want to get up again? And funnily enough, uh, a mentor of mine this week helped me realize uh, some of the principle and the dynamic of how all of that worked for me. And so I need to get into some attire, of course. It's a little bit more appropriate for the season that we have this weekend. 
and Rugby World Cup season. <sighs> Where's Max Dunn where you need him? Seen around there. Um, <clears throat> my mentor, he, he helped me realize that there was a dynamic that I discovered in the early days. You see, uh, I, uh, I learned to play rugby at the tender age of 14. I'd never played a minute of rugby uh, before that time, I'd ended up at Knox Grammar School. It was soccer or rugby. I thought rugby sounds like a really good game. And so I began to learn how to play rugby. And I turned up for my first ever trial. Uh, what, I, what I didn't know that at the time was that something was happening behind the scenes. You see, the number eight, he's like the biggest guy in the entire team. The number eight, the captain of the Knox Grammar School 14As, had been scheming all week, knowing that this trial game was coming up with a few of his mates because I was the new guy at school. And so he'd been scheming with all of his mates to set me up for a hospital pass. Now, of course, I know that not all of you are versed in rugby, so let me allow you to define what a hospital pass is. Hospital pass is when uh, someone can see that a defender is coming right at you, about to tackle them, and at the very last minute, they pop the ball up to you, so you have to catch it, and the defender smacks you and hits you down. And so that is what a hospital pass is. And so they had set me up for a hospital pass. And so there I was in the trial, bouncing around, thinking I was really quick as a winger. And next minute, I had re received the ball, and then thwack, it hit me. And I was, I was half-winded on the ground. And I couldn't talk, and I was, I was winded. And anyway, I learned some principles. So while I'm, while I'm down here, <laughs> let's, just, uh, let's just talk through some biblical principles, shall we, church? Here's the first thing I realized, is that... Um, in life, you will cop a hospital pass. You will cop a... I think you've got it in your Bibles there, verse 2 or verse 4. It says, let us, let us with perseverance run the race, it says. What got me this week is that the uh, Greek word for race is actually agon. Let us run the agon, which is actually where we get the word agony, which is how I was feeling when I had received that hospital pass. And so, look, life is painful. Life is agony. The first thing we learn is you'll cop a hospital pass. Here's the second thing you learn from this whole experience as well is that, while I'm down here, um, <laughs> uh, people are always scheming. It wasn't just the captain of the 14As. Uh, you won't have a captain of the 14As scheming for you. You'll, you'll have bosses, you'll have workmates, you'll even have family members. Someone's always scheming out to hit you. And more often than not, sadly, it's the people that are supposed to be the ones that are on your team, right? And if it's not the people around you, then it's the devil. The devil is always scheming. The devil is always looking to take you out with a hospital pass as well. Here's the third thing I learned while I'm down here. I've got to get up in a sec. But <laughs> the third thing I learned is that expectations are everything. You see, why did, why, why did it get winded? Why did it hurt so much? Because uh, I, I, I never saw it coming. I was a naive. I was a newbie. I was a rookie at rugby. And so that's why I got so, so winded. Expectations are everything. And that's what we've been saying, right? Until you understand that life, in life you'll cop a hospital pass, uh, then you're going to be unhappy about being unhappy. You're going to be surprised about the pain that you're feeling. So, um, so who would have thought that from one hospital pass you could learn all of these <laughs> sound biblical principles? A few weeks later... 
A few weeks later after the trial match, and this is how you know that there is always glory from pain, as I was cutting my way through the crowd and into this huddle that had gotten around the notice board at team announcement time every year that they have that, people were crowded through, and as I cut through, there were whispers. There were sh- people were shocked. People were beside themselves because as, as they looked at the list for the Knox Grammar School 14 A's, there at number 14 as winger was none other than this new rookie, Sam Hudden. And so, uh, having played not a minute of rugby in his life, he was elevated straight to the A team. And it was amusing to me. It was bemusing to me. And I asked the coach at the first training session, why the, why the heck did I make the team? And, and he said, well, look, first of all, you, you didn't have that much skill, but we can work on the skill. <laughs> he said, you certainly don't have any experience. But he said, here's the point, that time in the trial game, you never dropped the ball when you cop that pass you never dropped the ball and church when we're thinking around that question what the heck has rugby got to do with resilience everything (laughs) fact of the question what do you do if you've been hit so hard that you don't even want to get up the answer is don't drop the ball don't drop the ball was it mean to drop the ball? Because some of you are saying, hang on, Sam, that sounds like gritting your teeth. That sounds like endurance. No, it's not endurance. It's another word in the Bible. It's called obedience. It's called obedience. Verse 7, endure hardship of discipline. Here's what it means, guys. In order to be a person of resilience, sometimes you just need to stay and obey. Stay and obey. Now, some of you are saying, why should I? And allow me to diverge from the perfect metaphor that is rugby for just a second because we can't carry it all of the way through. In verse 5, it says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as children? My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one that he loves. Here's why you shouldn't drop the ball. You need to consider your hardships as God's fatherly care. You need to see that. It needs to be real to you. In other words, you, 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 you don't need to see God as your coach. You need to see him as your father. And here's how we get it. Verse 7, it says, endure hardship as discipline. Now, here's the challenge here. Discipline, the English word for that is not the word's best word, is it? Discipline, when we think discipline, what do we think? Uh, punishment. And it is in some ways and in some cases and contexts, but... Not here, because the word here, when I got into it, absolutely floored me what it meant. The word that we have here is endure the Lord's, endure hardship as the Lord's paedia. Endure hardship as paedia. Uh, Endure hardship as paedia. The word paedia, it's where we get the word pediatrics from. And so, can you see where we're going? The word paedia here means a discipline that nurtures the oversight of the entire environment of the child so that they receive whatever they need to be mature and to grow up. That's what paedia is. It's, it's a fatherly, nurturing discipline. And so, if I'm going to do paedia, then sometimes what that means is it's going to feel like there are consequences or boundaries. You see that all the time with kids. It's like, imagine... Imagine that I've got to tell my son that he can't go off to Johnny's party because he's been lying to me. 
And so I, I say to Zach, you can't go to Johnny's party. You've been lying. Go to your room. What happens? Wah! You know, kicking, screaming, stomping. Dad won't let me go to the party. Dad's, that's what, Dad's hurting me. Dad's hurting me. This hurts. Of course it hurts. It's painful, but it's punishment. Is it punishment, you say? Yeah, no, no, it's paedia. Paedia is not retribution, tit for tat, which, by the way, parents, you've got to be careful because you, you do get tit for tat punishment, don't you? You interrupt them a TV program, go to the room. That's tit for tat punishment, not this discipline. This is paedia. This is a disciplinary suffering. Here's what it means. God is a perfect parent will bring non-destructive, designed pain into his child's life. But not one gram more, not one more second, not one millimetre more than the child needs in order to escape the line. Does that make sense? Because when you do pay to you say, look, I, I, you need to endure this pain now to learn this lesson now. Otherwise, if you turn into a chronic pathological liar when you're 18, you're going to... You're going to cause others in yourself far more pain than the pain that you're feeling at the moment. See, that's paedia. So when you feel this hardship, you've got to stay and just obey. And, and, and consider that possibly God is bringing this into your life to teach you something. Now, what's the issue for you and I? The issue for you and I is that most suffering, if we think about it and analyse what it really is, is the stripping away of the things that we think we need to bring us joy and happiness. It's a strip, stripping away of those things. Most suffering, another way to put it, is the non-completion of our agenda. I thought I'd be in my career, this here in my career by now. I thought I'd be accepted into this course by now. I thought the issue with the kids would be fixed by now. I thought I would be married by now. I thought I would be successful by now. I thought my health would be fixed by now. And what happens in that? You get this uh, inner lashing out of the will, don't you? You get this inner lashing out of the will where you're like, well, I thought I'd be here now. I'm just, I'm taking it into my own hands. Um, I, Lord, you haven't delivered. I'm doing it. I've got to take matters into my hand now. I'm never going to get it. I'm going to cut quarters. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Look, what, what, what is that? What is that? Oh, Dad, this is hurting me. You're a poo-poo. That's what that is. Yeah, this is hurting me. I wanted to go to Johnny's party. You're a poo-poo. I'm doing this. Look, guys, you've got to stay and obey. When your agenda is not quite working out, if you want resilience, you must not make light of his fatherly care, his paedia. The temptation is you're going to want to move. You're going to want to take things into your own hands. But, you know, as they say in sailing terms, in the storm, sometimes the best thing you can possibly do is just hold tight to the wheel and the rudder. Just keep it straight. Stay and obey. Why? Here's why. No discipline seems pleasant. Verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. No paedia seems pleasant at the time. But it's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So in other words, you've got to stay. In other words, it says when you're feeling hardship and suffering, don't. Drop the ball. So what are some of the ways that we can drop the ball? Can I just, can I just get blindingly unspiritual this morning? Is that all right? You know me, I 
theological nosebleeds for three weeks. Let's just keep this blindingly unspiritual. What does it mean to not drop the ball? Here's the first thing. Don't drop the ball on your basic healthy habits. How many times have I having pastoral conversations with people now who they go through hardship in life and their agenda hasn't gone right and, oh, well, you know, one mouthful of this has led to the next, which has led to the next. That one drink has led to two, that's led to three, that's led to four, that's led to no sleep, that's led to a depressed headspace. Basic healthy habits are the fundamentals to resilience and at the more serious end of the spectrum you can drop the ball with addictive behaviors what's going on see practically speaking dropping the ball practically speaking is to retreat retreat from what you know is right at the time just, just to stick with it and doing something else because it feels better to retreat from what you know to do right don't drop the ball on your basic healthy habits here's the other one don't drop the ball on your relationships. We said last week, one of the things people often do is they retreat. They retreat from community, but don't drop the ball on your relationships. Don't drop the ball on your friendships. Don't drop the ball on your family members. Don't drop the ball on your partnerships. Don't drop the ball in your marriage. Don't drop the ball. How do I know that I've dropped the ball in a relationship? You... Here's the subtle way and the principle. You know you've dropped the ball in a relationship when it's all about you or when it becomes about you. You see, when we don't quite get our agenda and things are not going the way, a, a unique a dynamic, it's like, a, it's like a fertilizer of all the horrible weeds in your life. It's the dynamic lifter that you put onto the weeds of your life. It's called self-pity. And when you apply the dynamic lifter that is self-pity on your life, all these things grow up. And in any relationship, you've dropped the ball when you have that moment, when you know that you know that it's about you. That self-sacrificing love in the context of marriage doesn't feel good anymore. That to love and to nurture and put the needs of your friends ahead of others doesn't feel good. Anymore. You know it to be right, but you don't do it. Uh, Jonathan Edwards said, outside of the gospel, every relationship is born out of self-interest. What can this person do for me? What can they bring me? How can they satisfy me? Here's the third one and the last one. You can drop the ball on basic healthy habits. You can drop the ball on your relationships. But the final one is don't drop the ball on God's discipline. This is when we go, this is when we go ape on God... <laughs> That's what it looks like. We go ape on God because he's, we feel that he sent us to our room. And there are lots of ways that you can do that. The one way is to go kicking and screaming way. Wah! And you go off, go to your room and you're not happy with life. Or there's an even more sinister, more subtle way that you can do it. I'm sure you never would have done this as a kid. But here's the way that you drop the ball on your discipline with God. is, is You say this. Fine, Lord, um, it hasn't gone to my way, it hasn't gone to my agenda. Um, I'm, I'm going I'm to go to my room and I'm perfectly fine with it. <laughs> Doesn't hurt me one bit. And you're the problem. <laughs> Ever seen kids do that? That moment where uh, suddenly it was, 
It's not the lying that's the enemy. It's mum or dad's the enemy. The kids are looking at everything else. Oh, Johnny's party, all the things they can't do. And they, they invest all of their energy on mum or dad being the one who's the enemy, not themselves. And so when you drop the ball on God's discipline, there's a subtle and a sinister way to do it where you say, I never want to go to the party anymore. I never want to do life anymore. I, I, I never, that's, that's fine, I'm going to do it. And so we can, you can get a very crusty, conservative, it's actually a way to look like you haven't dropped the ball when you've really dropped the ball. Where it begins to uh, twist you and work with you because you're bottling it up inside. And so at the end of the day, you continue to obey, but it's an obedience out of resentment, not joy. Now, look, I'm deliberately making light of this reality because I recognize that dynamic can be too painful and too close to heart for people that are in, in that situation right now. But look, look, you've got to look what is paedia. This is the claim, nothing less than this. If you trust God, if you put your faith in God, if you follow God, God becomes your father. And when you come into these moments of life, it's a fatherly, loving discipline. A nurturing discipline. And what does it mean practically? It means he'll, he'll match the external brokenness with the internal brokenness. What happens in Paedia for us when we stay and obey is that God takes all of the external hits, the scheming, the unfairness, the suffering, all the things that we never asked for, all the external brokenness of the world, and he matches it with our internal brokenness, our self-interest, our self-pity. And he does so in such a supernatural way that if you have this dynamic, it can teach you, it can wake you up, it can strengthen you, it can heal you. He matches the two together. So don't drop the ball on God's discipline. And so as we finish, some of you are saying, Sam, that sounds like the most legalistic sermon you've ever preached. Don't drop the ball. Uh, it, could, it could be. I've just given you, I've just given you the I've given you the engine. I haven't given you the petrol yet. Okay, so bear with me. <laughs> um, remember, obedience is not endurance. It's not just gritting your teeth and going going with it look that you you and i would both know that there is there is a difference between just letting go of the ball and having it punched out from you right there's there's differences in 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 what i call goad dropping and grace dropping of the ball see goad dropping is when the apostle paul was talking about the hardships that he went through and jesus says to him the resurrected jesus says paul paul why do you kick against the goads the goad was a big spike that shepherds used in order to keep the flock. If the flock were going near a cliff, they would hit the sheep with, a, with this big spike and it would hurt at the time, but at least they're not over the cliff. You see, there is, there is goad dropping and that is, it's the sort of dropping of the ball like, uh, like the petulant child that is railing against the Lord's discipline and that type of dropping where you say, fine, I'm going to drop the ball anyway. There's goad dropping Look, the father's discipline is a passive discipline. What he's saying, and when he said this to Paul, why do you kick against the goads? God is saying, I've so set up the universe that the more that you want to kick against my system, the more that you just kick against yourself. The more that you want to break my principles and systems, the more you break yourself. We see this all the time. The solution to the dynamic is called diets. 
The more that you just want to kick against his principles, the more that it can make you unhealthy, the more it can break you. That's goad dropping, but then there's grace dropping. What about some of you who are saying, you know what, I've, I tried this stuff. I've dropped the ball in my relationships. I've dropped the ball in my marriage at times. I've dropped the ball with my friends. I've dropped the ball in healthy habits this week. I've, I've, dropped, I've dropped the ball with God this week. What do we do? That there's, the good news is there's grace dropping. When, when you, grace dropping is when you've dropped the ball and you, you come out of the room and by, by some supernatural glimpse, because every child needs that, don't they, when they're three or four? But that, that supernatural glimpse when you understand that your nurturing father maybe, just maybe, loves you and wants the best for you. And grace dropping is the sort of dropping where you've dropped the ball and you can understand that it's okay. That all of this he is using to teach you and to grow you and to heal you. As we finish this morning, this is the big question many of you are asking, right? You know, how is it? How is it that this fine specimen of a Christian before you didn't drop the ball in his trial match? How is it that this rookie didn't drop the ball that eventually elevated him to the 14 A's? Hey, the reason was, at least the one thing I knew, I didn't know much about rugby, the one thing I knew that there was a subterranean purpose to the game. A subterranean purpose. The purpose is you just got to hold on to the ball, it's pretty simple, and score a try. So I figured if I don't know how to run, if I don't know the positions, if I don't know how to do this, all I did know how to do on that particular trial game, because I hardly knew the rules, is if I just hold the ball and run for the try line. There's a subterranean purpose. What about this match called life? What about this agon? What about this agony? What's the subterranean purpose of it all here it is this is what makes christians different from everyone else it should make us different from everyone else and so may with perseverance we run the agon the agony that's marked out for us fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer the author and the perfecter of our faith that's the subterranean purpose fix your eyes that word there the author of our faith the author and perfecter there clunky english words to describe the Greek word archegos, which meant archego, which is a, a, a word that meant um, champion or captain. And so what it says is, fix your eyes upon Jesus, a captain, not a captain that schemes with everyone else to cop a hospital pass, but he's the ultimate captain, he's the ultimate player of the game, and we see that in him. Look, what was the cross? You know what the cross was? The cross was a cosmic hospital pass. What is a, hosp- a hospital pass? Is when someone, someone fumbles the ball off and, and, and gives you pain and suffering that you did not deserve. What is a hospital pass but to be taken out when you were totally innocent and you were totally blameless? And when you look to Jesus, what do you see? When you see in Jesus, what do you do? He never dropped the ball. Verse 2 says, the author and the perfecter of the faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sits now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus never dropped the ball. Jesus never dropped the ball. What was his subterranean purpose? What was his one simple rule? What was one single thing that he was aiming for, that if he did this, then he scored? It was you. It was you. 
You were his subterranean person. If, if, I, if I can do this, Lord, if I can have this, if I can, if I can go through this, then I, I know that they can be with us, Father. That was his subterranean purpose. And when you understand that you are his subterranean purpose, you can make him your subterranean purpose. Don't drop the ball. What, what, do, I, what do I do? What do I do if I don't even feel like getting up again? Don't drop the ball. Look to your captain. Look to the arch egos. Look at how he lived his life with such resilience. And when you see in Jesus someone who simply stayed and obeyed and then there being glory in his life, then you know that there may just may be glory in yours. Don't drop the ball. Look, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here with us this morning, um, do you have this subterranean purpose? <laughs> do, you, do you have this resource? You can have this resource. This is, this is the secret of Christianity. Our, our captain doesn't scheme against us. He showed us how it's done. He got knocked down and he got back up again. And we Christians learn that we can do exactly the same thing if we become more like him. So I throw that to you. Do you have that resource? For the rest of us, brothers and sisters, are you winded? Are you flat on your back? Are you one of those people this morning that are saying, Sam, what, what, do, I, what do I do when, oh, forget all the resources you need and all your theology and allow me to just be mind-numbingly basic with you this morning? What do I do if I don't want to get back up again? Don't drop the ball. Don't drop the ball on the basics. Don't drop the ball on your relationship. And for heaven's sake, don't drop the ball on God's discipline. Why? Because it just at the right time, through all of his perfect paedia, his fatherly nurturing, he's bringing all things, good and bad, into your life so that there are purposes and there are dreams and there are good works that he has ordained for you to do. He's working it all out. He's bringing it all to bear, even though you can't see it at the moment, even as much as it hurts and as winded as you are. Don't drop the ball. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> we want to be a people of resilience. And some of us are hurting this morning, Lord. And we don't make light of that, Father. We pray desperately for them, Lord, that uh, through your Holy Spirit, you would make your presence and your purposes, Father, ever more real to them this morning. That in our limited perspectives as young children, toddlers, mere toddlers that we are, Father, that each and every one of us come into a, a wonderful and a life-changing recognition of your fatherly nurture for us. Lord, uh, we pray that as this dynamic uh, for each and every one of us in this place works itself out over these coming weeks and months, that we would be a community of difference, we would be a community of distinction, that we would continue to be shining lights in our workplaces and our families and in our friendships, that we would be radically different because of this subterranean purpose. There would be a, res a resilience, a, a, a constant bouncing back and anchoring in you, Lord Jesus. That is inexplicable to some and would be the very reason that people would ask us for the hope that we have at the center of our souls. 
And Father, in, in, in your sovereign, supernatural, mysterious way, we dare to believe that there is a dynamic emerging in this church. of People who are taking this on board and this reality that's been made ever more real to them. And it, this is more than just survival for our own lives. That as we look to you, not only will you strengthen us and heal us, Father, but you're progressively healing the world around us through us. And so that we ask that um, through us, Father, as the overflow, not as the aim, as the overflow, subconsciously without us thinking about it, that people would come to know you and your strength and your power because of the resilience, the bounciness, the adaptability that all of us are beginning to develop. Nurture that within us, Father, we pray in your mighty name. Amen.